Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I would encourage you guys, anybody here praying for believers, here's a list of things you can be praying for. First thing on the list, he said, I'm praying that your hearts may be encouraged. As believers get beat down and discouraged sometimes, you know that? And so we can stand in the gap and pray for them that their hearts will be encouraged. Some believers are discouraged because of life circumstances, family issues, loss of loved ones, job issues, challenges, stress, health, you name it. And so we could be praying for our brothers, praying for our sisters, that they would be encouraged, that their hearts would be encouraged. We need that. The body of believers needs to be lifted up. As you listen to Pastor Bill's message today, he shares with you this truth. Sometimes we can easily think that our brothers and sisters in Christ have it all together. However, it's important to understand that anyone who's a disciple of Christ has a target on their back from the enemy. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy anything and anyone having to do with Jesus. Pastor Bill urges you to pray for the family of God. Pray that each member would stay encouraged. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Colossians. Chapter 2, as he begins his message, Deceivers, Cheaters, and Believers. Chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So Paul is saying, look, I haven't even seen these believers. I want you guys to, to just get the heart of a Christian here, right? Paul has made, he's been made aware of the Colossians. Remember in chapter one, he said he had heard about their faith, heard about how they were doing. And he was so encouraged that while he's, you know, kind of jailed up right now, he's writing to them. He says, I haven't even met you guys face to face. A neighboring city to Colossae is Laodicea. And so Paul adds them here. He says, look, there's a great conflict I have. I'm conflicted about what I hear going on there. I care about you guys and I'm conflicted. I I hear that these false teachers, these Gnostics are coming down to you guys with these other teachings. And I just want you to catch that Paul cares. Um, He cares about the state of the church. He cares about believers that he hasn't even met. And I hope that we have a sense of the worldwide church of God. Sometimes we can kind of get, you know, centralized with church and think that this is it. Where we go to church is it. But we all understand here that the church is worldwide. Amen. Made up of people of every nationality, every nation, every tongue, every tribe from all places all over the world. There are people that have bowed the knee that believe that Jesus is king. And we are in the family. We are in the eternal family with those believers. Paul was hearing about believers here and he cared. Right. We should be concerned when we hear about what's happening with believers in other parts of the world. It may not be hitting us like it's hitting them, but we should care. Uh, We should be praying for them. We should be our hearts should be connected to them. And so Paul says, look, I have a great conflict for you and for those in Laodicea. It says many as have not seen my face in the flesh. They haven't seen that word. Conflict means a, a struggle, a contest, a contention. You know, Paul is, is wanting to, Paul wants to get in the battle for them. And this is kind of cool, right? Paul is like, look, I, I, I can see that the false teachers are coming for you guys. I heard about it. Now I'm in prison. I'm going to write this thing to you guys. I want to encourage you guys how to beat that. How do you overcome that? How do we get beyond the fact that there's so many false teachings and so many, there's false churches and there's false beliefs. And there's all these practices, there's so many different religions and beliefs. How do we make sure we don't get wrapped up in the wrong thing? That's what Paul is going to address in the section that we're looking at here today. Then he says what he's doing. So Paul is praying for them. 
in verse two, this is what he wants for them. This is what he's hoping will happen for these believers. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. Uh, That's number one. Number two, being knit together in love wants unity for them and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the father and of Christ. And so before we look at these things that Paul is hoping for these believers, I just want to say something about the Laodiceans. And so many of us are familiar with in the book of Revelation, John wrote a letter and he addressed the church of Laodicea. Now, when John got to them, what kind of condition were they in? Anybody was, was they a good church or a bad church? Right. They were lukewarm. Is lukewarm good or bad? Bad, right? God said this to them. He said, I, I, I know your works that you were neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, this is how they saw themselves. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. And this is how God sees them. And did not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, They had a false concept of how they were. And so I think Paul was on to something. Paul saw this church and said, man, I want to encourage you guys. This is way before. And Paul is speaking to them. Evidently, things didn't go well for the Laodicean church. Maybe they heard but didn't heed the things that were spoken here by Paul. Maybe they fell into some of these traps and somewhere down the line, they got to a place where they were they were lukewarm and had a false sense of where they were. Well, here Paul is speaking to them. I point that out to you because some of us are here today and God is speaking to you, right? And you don't want to be here today and God is speaking to you only to arrive at a destination years from now where you didn't benefit from what God was speaking, right? And this happens in a group like this. There are people here that are listening to the Lord and obeying the Lord and growing in the Lord. And at the very same time, there are people listening to the very same messages that are just going, foo, foo, just hearing it in one ear, foo, foo, out the other, still going to do my own thing. And what will inevitably happen if you live like that is that, you know, you'll hear these messages. God will be speaking to you. And because you're not heeding the things that God is speaking You'll show up at a later date and, and you haven't benefited from what's been heard, what you've heard. You haven't, you haven't grown, you haven't matured. It hasn't, it hasn't benefited you like it could. So I just want to challenge us here before I go any further. Can we all be careful how we hear the Lord? Can we make sure that we're listening with an intent to obey? These are my words, right? These are God's words. And I'm not here because I got something that I want to say to you guys. I'm here because I believe God has something he wants to say to all of us. And I believe that this is the living word of God. And through this book, God will instruct us how to make sure we go to heaven when we die. God will instruct us how to have life to the full right now. God will instruct us how to make sure we don't get cheated and deceived in this life. Because there are many tricks and sneaky little plans the enemy has to rip people off here and now. Um, If we will listen to Jesus, we will rise above all of it, right? Anybody here ever, as you got older, look back and thought, man, my mom or my dad was right about what they said. Anybody came to that realization? Yeah, because most of us, we were teenagers. We thought they didn't know what they was talking about, right? That's how I was. When I was, when I was in my teens, it was, it, was, it was terrible. I really did believe. I was thoroughly convinced in my teens I knew it all. I, my, I knew it better than my parents. I knew it better than my friends. I knew it better than my teachers. I was thoroughly convinced in my teens. I mean, you really couldn't tell me nothing. And then I grew up just a little bit. Just a little bit. And I could look back and say, man, there's so many things I look back on and think, had I just listened, I could have prevented that from happening. Had I obeyed this, that wouldn't have happened. 
Now, can I go back and undo it? I got them lessons though. So I got to move forward with the lessons. So spiritually speaking, I can't, I can't, I cannot have that rehappen in my walk with the Lord. I got to listen up to the Lord right now. And so here again, Paul is, is wanting to encourage them. He's wanting to, he's letting them know, I care about you guys. I'm conflicted for you guys. And I, I love this list of the things he's praying for them. I would encourage you guys, anybody here praying for believers, here's a list of things you can be praying for. First thing on the list, he said, I'm praying that your hearts may be encouraged. As believers get beat down and discouraged sometimes, you know that? And so we can stand in the gap and pray for them that their hearts will be encouraged. Some believers are discouraged because of life circumstances, family issues, loss of loved ones, job issues, challenges, stress, health, you name it. And so we can be praying for our brothers, praying for our sisters, that they would be encouraged, that their hearts will be encouraged. We need that. We need the encouragement of, of the saints and we can be praying that for them. The second thing he prays for them is that they that says that being knit together in love, that the body of believers there, there'd be a sweetness about there'd be a, they'd be unified in love. And can I say that love is what unifies the church that when believers come together, it's first our love for the Lord. Amen. And, and our love for God should overflow in a love for one another, because when you love God, you begin to love what God loves. And guess what? God loves a lot. His church. So it's, it's an interesting thing when you got a person that claims to be a believer, but they don't love other Christians. I hear some Christians are like, well, I, I love God, but I can't stand his kids, you know, or, or whatever. I, I love God, but I don't do church. I don't want to be around believers. But it's like, if you love God, you're going to love what God loves, right? You couldn't really love me and tell me that you hate my kids, could you? Nah, you couldn't, you couldn't even be my friend, right? Well, you couldn't even come to my house. If, if you said, Bill, Bill, I love you, man. You awesome. But your kids, man, I hate all your kids. I hate them bad. You know, they get on my nerves. That Harmony and that Benjamin, man, I tell you, you know, we couldn't be friends. <laughs> you, know, that way you, you wouldn't be loving me saying that, you know, and so, so too with the Lord. If we love the Lord, we're going to love what he loves. We're going to love his kids. Some of y'all got friends. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you guys got friends with bad kids? Don't raise your hands. Just look at me. With, just open your eyes real big and look at me. Everybody looking at me big eye, right? Well, you know, in love for your friends, you deal with a bad kids, right? That's, that's love. I love you guys. I love you and your little, your, little, your little babies, you know? So that they be knit together in love is what Paul is, is praying and desiring for them. Next, he says this, that they will be attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Paul says, I want you guys to attain to all the, the riches of the full assurance, right? I want you to be fully convinced. This is so important for us as believers that they be full assurance. I don't believe that God wants us to be hoping that we're saved, hoping that we're in the Lord. God, I want you guys to arrive at the place of full assurance. You can be fully assured that you are in Christ. Do you guys know that today? And that God desires that for you, that you would be fully aware First of all, it's, it's, it's just understanding how we end up in relation with the Lord in the first place. God did all the significant work in that he loved you and he died on the cross in your place and he made available to you salvation and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And God requires of you and me faith. He gives you a measure of faith to be able to believe. And if you exercise that faith and believing in him, God says, I'll receive you just for that. You're my son. You're my daughter. Your faith and my finished work on the cross I forgive you. I receive you. You are mine. You're not perfect, but I'll be working on you from this point on. There'll be a process of sanctification taking place, but we enter in through faith and we have to continue in our walk with the Lord through faith. Some people get mixed up. We start to rate our performance. If you look at your relation with the Lord and you rate it on your performance, then it'll be up and down because we don't always perform well all the time, do we? 
Some of you guys perform well, you know, it's 15% of the time, but 50%, I don't know y'all that well, but you know, we don't perform all the time the way that we may hope. And so if my walk with the Lord and my relationship with God or my salvation is, is latched on to how I'm doing, it'll be kind of schizophrenic up and down. But God says, look, you can have full assurance because it's based on what I did, not what you do, not how you're doing. It's based on what I have done for you. And so Paul says to this group, I want you guys to arrive at that place. I want you to have the full assurance. I want you to have full assurance. I want you to attain to the riches of the full assurance. I want you to know he counts of full assurance as riches. It's like money in the bank because it's something that can't be taken away. I have full assurance that I belong to the Lord. Lastly, he says this after attaining to the the full assurance, he says also to the knowledge of the mystery of God. I want you guys to, to have knowledge of the mystery of God. Now he mentioned what the mystery of God that he's speaking about was earlier on last chapter, chapter one, verse 27. He tells us what the mystery of God is. If you want to look at it with me, it says in chapter one, verse 27 to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everybody look at that Christ in you, the hope of that's the mystery that he says, I I want you guys to know this. I want you guys to to have knowledge of the mystery of God that's Christ in you is the hope of glory. I want you to know this. I noticed this in Colossians that Paul keeps pointing them back to Jesus. At every juncture he can, he's pointing them to Jesus, the mystery of Jesus. Last week, what Christ has done for us. This week, you know, he's he's going to take us a little deeper into our relationship with Jesus. But he says, I want you guys to know these things. The mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Interesting that, you know, we always see them to kind of pair together. God the Father and God the Son. But Jesus said this in the Gospels. If you've seen me, what do he say? You've seen the Father. And so Christ is, and this is why it's so important that we, we understand who Jesus is. Jesus helps me understand even who the Father is, right? Jesus is God's physical representation. Someone said it this way. Jesus is God who put human flesh on. He put skin on. So I could know, what's God like? You know, I read about God the Father, but what's God really like? He sent his son and came in the person of a man. He put on human skin. He entered into our world so we could see what God was like in, in skin. How did God treat people? How did God interact with people? How did God treat sinners? How did God treat religious? We see God in the flesh through Jesus. And so Jesus is our, our physical representation. So we can really understand and relate to God is. That's why Christ came One of the reasons he came in the flesh in the way that he did. Look now at verse three. It says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want you to know the Bible calls them treasures. Treasures are something desirable, something that are that's valuable, something worth, you know, hunting for, going after. He says all the treasures, these are spiritual treasures are hidden. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in, in Christ Jesus. That's where they're made available. And so I've often thought this. How many of you guys know people that like to get deep, philosophically deep, spiritually deep? I got to hang out yesterday. I got to talk to one of my buddies I grew up with. God, I've known my, my whole life. And something that we were remembering, um, I, before I met the Lord, let me preface that. So before I was a Christian, I would hang out with a bunch of guys and we would guys would drink and smoke weed and inevitably people drink and smoke weed and they get spiritual and they get deep. And sometimes the more you drink, the deeper you get, you know? And so I remember I had an apartment up at Dominguez Hills and 
It was a pretty mixed crowd. In this group, there were some deep, you know, thinking, drunk, high, supposed Christians. There was a couple guys that was 5% Islam. There was a couple guys with some new age stuff. But we would just sit there and guys would philosophize. And it would, you know, about God. And I was always out of it. I, I didn't believe in, I believed in God, but I was not any kind of religion. I was not claiming anything at that time. And so I would listen in and just, my argument was that they couldn't all be right. Y'all all saying something different. So everybody wrong, you know, everybody get out, you know, so it's all false. You know, that, that was where I stood at the time. But I remember that people would get deep and even now, now I'm saved. And I know the Lord, but I'll meet some people and they'd be like, Hey, me. And sometimes they, you know, you can know they think it's deep because they say it like it's deep. They say, if you, I think some people say, if you say it slow enough, it'll be deep, you know? If you say it with sage in the air, it'll be really deep, you know, but here's the thing, right? You can't get deep spiritually apart from Jesus Christ and apart from the word of God. The only thing you can get deep in, if you remove God's word, you can get in deep trouble. You can get in deep error. But if you remove God's word, you are not, there ain't nothing spiritually deep about whatever you come up with apart from Christ and apart from his word. And so here he says, look, in, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to have wisdom and knowledge, you got to, you got to come to Christ and you got to study his word. And so you can have a young person, you can have a, a young boy, young girl that knows the Lord and reads the word and they can, they have wisdom. They can have wisdom that, that's beyond some old folks because wisdom is, is wrapped up in a relationship with the Lord. Wisdom is not automatically yours because you got gray hair. Y'all know there's some old fools out there. And so the wisdom is not, it's not automatic. It's not because I'm old. I have wisdom. You old, you've been here a long time. Wisdom is, is, it comes from God. And so a young person can have old wisdom. You can have a young person that's really committed to the Lord and they have, they got wisdom. They got old person wisdom in a young person's mind and heart and body because that young person is listening to the Lord. And, and God don't make you wait for wisdom. Wisdom is not something that, you know, well, you, you can only attain so far at 15, you know, 20 or whatever. How deep do you want to go and how far do you want to be? You want to know the Lord, you can know the Lord right now. You want to know the Lord deeply, you can know the Lord deeply right now. You can continue in that. And you know what you'll find out? It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. You're never going to know all of it. God will continue to reveal more and more and more. But I, I want us to know that there is no wisdom apart from him. Anybody that thinks they have wisdom apart from God, they're not, they have no wisdom. The Bible even warns us in, in Psalm 1.1, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? That means that there's a lot of people offering counsel, but if the counsel doesn't come from God, that's ungodly counsel. And God says, you'll be very happy if you don't walk in it. Um, and so there are people that have gone to school, they got degrees, and if you sit down with them, I'll tell you, married people, if you go to secular marriage counseling, they can't help you. They can't help get to the root of your problems. I've heard of secular marriage counseling telling people, you know, if you guys aren't happy together, God wants you to be happy. Just break up and be happy. I've never seen a happy divorce, right? Anybody here seen a happy Maybe you, I, I've never seen a happy divorce. And so that's, that's, not the, that's not what God would say. What would God say? Die to yourself. Forgive. Work it out. You made a commitment. You're in a covenant till death do us part. The win in the Christian realm, the win is to win that marriage back. The win there is to, to overcome, not to just get away and try and start. Now you're going to take your unhappy self to some new person and do it all over again. And then, and, and he's you know what? I'm unhappy again. And God wants me to be, that's what some people think. God wants me to be happy. Find that verse, right? Find that verse in your Bible. I'm going to tell you with this. God never says, I want you to be happy, but he does do this. He does instruct us how to be happy. 
Throughout the scripture, God says, you'll be happy if you do this and you'll be happy if you don't do that. But he never explicitly says, I, my intention in life is for you to be happy. Some people got that mixed up in their marriage. Like, you know, my marriage, I'm not happy in my marriage and God wants me to be. No, no, he didn't say that. There's not a verse on marriage where God says, I want your marriage to be happy. So if you got married thinking that you should have got premarital counseling, it would have helped you out. You know, that's just not there, right? That marriage is an opportunity for you to grow in Christ. You're going to learn about him. You're going to learn about being like him. You're going to learn how to die to yourself. Anybody married? Does marriage teach us how to die? Married folk? Say it loud for the singles. Does marriage teach you how to die? Some of y'all should scream it in blood curling screams, right? So you learn how to die, right? So you can live. So it is a blessing though. It do have some perks, but I, I'll leave that alone. So, so you can't get deep apart from the Lord. It's not possible. And so he warns him of this here. Now, interesting, like all knowledge is found in Christ. Jesus is literally truth incarnate. So he said this about himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No way to the father except through me. And people have defined the difference between knowledge and wisdom this way, that knowledge is the understanding of truth. Knowledge is knowing the truth, they're understanding the truth. And then wisdom is the ability to apply the truth that you know. So wisdom is applying it. So wisdom has more to do with what I'm doing with the knowledge that I have. I have the wisdom to apply the knowledge. Knowledge is just knowing stuff. And so we want both, but both of them are found in Christ. And here's the thing. I may have all the knowledge of what God wants me to do. I need the strength of the Lord to now apply it. Have you found that sometimes we know what to do, but then we need strength to be able to do the right things. I need strength from God. God, when we pray for wisdom, I'm saying, God, give me strength to live according to what I know. I know the truth. I think most Christians that we lived according to the truth that we know, we'd be okay. It's, it's that we don't do what we know that gets us into trouble. And so again, Paul is praying for these believers that they would just enter into the Lord, that they would tap into all these things. He's letting them know that it's in Christ are hitting all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now look at verse four. He gives his first, you know, kind of insight to them or, or what he's concerned about. He says, now this I say, least anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Paul says, look, the reason I'm saying this stuff to you is I don't want you guys to be deceived. I don't want anyone to be able to deceive you with persuasive words. That was his concern for them, that people were coming that were persuasive. And and they were, you know, they, he didn't want them to be able to be deceived with persuasive words. So Paul is ministering to them. Now, this is similar to what John the apostle wrote to the in, in his first epistle, right? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 26, he said, These things I write to you concerning those who try to deceive you. So this is what we need to know as believers is that one of the tricks of Satan, the consistent tricks of Satan, Satan uses deception. God uses, God is about truth and Satan uses deception to keep people from the truth. You see this throughout the Bible. The very first two human beings that were made, Satan came along and what did he do to Eve? He deceived her. He tricked her. How did he trick her? What what was his tool of, of deception? Lies. He lied to her. He lied on God. He lied about what the tree would do if she ate it. He lied about God's motive. She said, you know, he told her that God was keeping something good from her and she got deceived and she ate it. That's what Satan does. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. John 8, 44 talks about Satan that he was a liar from the beginning and he does it. He says, whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own resources because he was a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. And so deception has gone out into the world today. There's so many different beliefs and practices. And so I've had Christians ask me before, why does God let there be so many religions? Because it's confusing. 
why are so many things happening out there? And, and I, I just always trying to remind people, don't blame God for everything you see, right? There is a devil out here working, working on the other side. And so I believe that Satan throws these things out. The Bible says, God says about himself that he is not the author of confusion. Satan authors confusion. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Colossians, this book is a letter penned by the Apostle Paul. We find him sitting in a Roman prison where he just received news that the church in Colossae was being infiltrated with false teaching that went against the very nature of Jesus. How dangerous would it be to start believing that Jesus wasn't who he said he was and is? This was why Paul confronted this issue and reminded the Colossian church that God's sufficient for all we need. When we think we can't go on, He gives us endurance. When you feel like you've messed up one too many times, He takes it away by His blood. When you're in doubt, He gives you peace. If you've ever felt these ways before, there's hope in Jesus, friends. And the more you dive into His Word, you'll find this to be true. In fact, if you visit our website, calvaryinglewood.org, we have a daily Bible reading plan just for you. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. If you've got any questions or simply need someone to talk to, we're waiting. Just call 310-245-4811. Our prayer is that as you walk through life, you have a deep personal relationship with Jesus. So commit this number to your memory, 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood out of Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today. This has been A Transforming Word.